Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. I'm Stacy, And I'm David. We grew up together in Beverly Hills in the 1980s. Forget what you've seen in the movies or TV shows. We have the real stories about real people growing up in Beverly Hills. Here's a little known fact for you. There aren't any talking chihuahuas. <laughs> Beverly Hills folk drop a lot of names of people and places. We just can't help it. Don't worry, we'll explain it all at the end of the interview in the Beverly Hills Breakdown. Enjoy, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. There's only one place to get gourmet food with the best live music in town, and that's Vibrato Grill Jazz. It's owned by our friend Eden Alpert and her father, the great Herb Alpert. They make you feel like a star amongst the stars. You can now dine inside or out. There's live music Friday and Saturday nights. And they have an amazing Sunday brunch with live music, too. They have a full bar with imaginative cocktails, beer, and wine. They are located at the Glen Center at the top of Beverly Glen. You can make your reservations at resi.com or directly at vibratogrilljazz.com. Tell them Growing Up Beverly Hills sent you. We'll see you there at Vibrato Grill. Yay! In this episode, we talked to the lovely, talented, and very funny Mindy Rickles. Mindy started as an actor and moved into comedy just the way her famous father, the legendary Don Rickles, did. She grew up in Beverly Hills her whole childhood, but only spent the 11th and 12th grade at public school at Beverly Hills High. She describes herself as painfully shy as a kid, but had no problem getting up in front of a big audience. We talk a lot about some shows that feature her or her dad, and in the Beverly Hills breakdown at the end of the show... We'll tell you just where you can watch them all, and we do recommend you watch them all, because they're great. <laughs> Let's hear Mindy. Roll the tape, Stacy. Mindy Rickles, welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. So good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Mindy, great to see you. Great to see you, too. Very exciting for me. For the two of you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. So we wanted to start today, kind of get an idea of how your parents met and what brought you to Beverly Hills. Um, well, actually, my parents met in Los Angeles. My mother came out from Philadelphia and my father came out from New York. And she was working as an assistant to my father's agent at, well, it was before it was William Morris. It was um, GAC, it was called. No, it wasn't called that. I can't remember. Maybe it was called that. I don't know. I can barely remember, you know, the, my children's birth dates. Um, <laughs> so anyway, they met there um, and very quickly they got married. It was a little later in life because my dad was like 40 and my mother, or he was 39 and my mother was like 29. Oh. Yes. They got married and they moved to a building on Wilshire Boulevard. And then my mother became pregnant with me and they they found a house in Beverly Hills and they moved there to um, Alpine Drive in Beverly Hills. So you were born in Beverly Hills? I was born in Beverly Hills and my God, it was exciting. <laughs> I was born in Beverly Hills, yes. We love but, that. But so, probably at Cedars Sinai. Yes, or a <laughs> hospital that's no Mount Sinai, somewhere I think that isn't there anymore. Yes. I think it's the one we were all born at. Right. They closed shop after me, I think. 
Did you go to one of the elementary schools? No, I didn't. I went to one of the private schools, John Thomas Dye. Oh, that that was a very elite private school, you know, but when I went there, it was like, when do you want to start? You know, then it was, they let everyone in. Now it's very hard to get in and a kid has to be, you know, he has to have like five pencils in his pocket and he has to be a scientist when he's three. (laughs) That was, but that was different then. So I went there first grade through sixth grade. And Uh then from there, I went to Westlake, which was just called Westlake then. It wasn't called Harvard Westlake. And that was an all-girls school at the time? It was an all-girls school. We had uniforms, yes. And it was in like Holmby Hills. Yep. I went there from seventh grade to 10th grade. And it was very difficult, um, very rigorous. And Mm -hmm. by 10th grade, I was like, "Mm, you know, I'm not going to be a neurosurgeon Maybe I don't want to stay here and graduate. And I had a couple of friends that went to Beverly High. So I thought maybe I'll change and go to Beverly High. So I switched in my junior year. I only went to Beverly High for like two years. What was that experience like coming in as a new kid in 11th grade? Yeah, it it was a little difficult. I was really, really shy. And, you know, for the first six months, I was like, just wearing like huge sweatpants and huge sweatshirts. I don't know why. And then I would just kind of drag myself across the lockers and just be by myself. And, and even though I I did have a couple of friends there. And then um, one was a friend from Hillcrest Country Club, which right. was yeah. the, you know, very elite country club at the time. And my parents belonged to it. And you would go there, you know, for lunches and dinners during the Jewish holidays. Right. I remember seeing your dad and Bob Newhart dining there quite often as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My grandmother was a a big tennis player and a member at Hillcrest. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, um, my family in general were not a hugely athletic group. (laughs) I took on lunch. Yes. Food was a major thing. Not eating at home because my mother never cooked, but exactly eating in restaurants and eating at Hillcrest was definitely, you know, very big thing. And actually the Newhart family, we were very close to them and we, you know, would spend all the holidays with them. So yeah, they would come to Hillcrest with us or we would go, to their home or in the Bel Air Country Club with them. Right. You know, we grew up with their kids. And so, yeah. So I had friends from Hillcrest that went to Beverly High. And so that's how, you know, I became friends. I was not good at making friends. So one of the only friends I made at Beverly High was your guest, recent guest, Dr. Sophia Grant. Oh, the best. Yes. (laughs) Who, you know, she really knows how to tell a story. That she does. Yes. So she's a very close friend of mine, and she's one of the few friends that I've actually kept since we met in 11th grade. That's great. Yeah. And she was annoying, and I was annoying, (laughs) and she was annoyed by me, and then that's how we became friends. Instant friends, annoyed by each other. Yes. Going to a school early on that you kind of had to commute to, did you have friends just on your block and in the neighborhood? That Oh, no. No. Where we mm-hmm. lived, we lived on this hill, and there was nothing about 
you know, oh, you go outside and there's your friends. We did have a friend of mine, Jody Hamilton, was up the street who went to John Thomas Dye with me. Right. Her mother was mm-hmm. Carol Burnett. So I would go over to their house and whatnot. But um, other than that, no, I had no friends on the street. You know, it was a very steep hill and there was no, no way that you would have, you know, friend. I didn't even know from that mentality of having friends on your block or something. Aww. And would you still go into the town of Beverly Hills? And Oh, yeah, we would always. I mean, it wasn't far. That's, you know, one of the mm-hmm. few places we went. I mean, I guess we went to Brentwood some. But growing up, you know, I didn't know much. I mean, we traveled, but I didn't know much of another world in L.A., you know, besides Beverly Hills, you know, I went to the bookstore there and um, sometimes Nails, which was the deli, um, which I think is reopened or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, it did reopen. Yeah, we heard it reopened. Yeah. Yeah. And you would go shopping at Rudnick's and- Yes, and there was the shoe store. Harry Harris. Harry Harris. I went there. (laughs) It was very exciting for me, you know, for your older elderly viewers, I saw- (laughs) Tina Louise, not the Tina Louise of today, but the Tina Louise from Gilligan's Island there yes. with her daughter, who I remember had the name, her name was like the name of a car. It was like Porsche oh. or Chevrolet or something like that. <laughs> so, we just call her Buick. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, and I, I was very excited to see her in the shoe store. I remember that. I'd be excited by that. Yeah, it's yeah. very exciting. But would I be more excited to see Marianne? I don't know. That's yeah, the I know. It's a debate. tie. It's a toss-up. <laughs> so you come to high school late, and uh, you get reintroduced to boys, but you also must have made some friends in the theater department because you, you do drama, right? Yes, I was in the theater department. I was in, I think at one point, I was in musical comedy in the drama department. The musical comedy thing was like a joke because I couldn't sing at all. And someone just threw me in there and I don't, I don't know if I stayed or not, but I was in the drama department and, you know, the claim to fame for people is that I was in the drama department with David Schwimmer, a friend. Yeah. And I remember one day for his scene, cause he thought he was, which he was, you know, Al Pacino and he just took a needle and like with a hammer and hammered it into a board. And then we all stared mm. at him and then he went monologue. <laughs> it was a little bit pretentious, might I say, but you know, he obviously knew what he was doing because clearly I put a fork and a stake and went monologue and it meant nothing. So he obviously the thing with the hammer brought him to the fame and the acclaim that, you know, he has today. God bless him. For that. Yes. Right. And um so I was in a comedy play there and I remember after the play that was right when Sophia and I first met. She's like, you know, I saw that play and I was like, that's Mindy. You know, she doesn't say four words. And then she saw mm-hmm. me in the play and I was screaming and it was like a Neil Simon comedy thing. And she couldn't believe, you know, it was the same person as that very shy person that like would put herself in, in her locker and lock herself in. So, yeah, that's always one of my questions just in general to hear about from some of you actors or comedians or people that are on stage that they're in real life painfully shy. And mm-hmm. I don't know why a group of 100 people makes you feel comfortable instead of a smaller group, but I yeah. always wondered that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always sort of like to perform or when I was a kid, I would imitate my parents, friends all the time and, you know, want to put on shows. But I was, yeah, I was always kind of a little similar to my father who was, you know, famous comedian Don Rickles. And so I had that same, you know, I was funny. He would say not as funny as him, but I was funny. (laughs) So that was sort of my my claim to fame, you know, sort of in high school and, and that kind of thing. Very mm-hmm. cool. Very cool. So what was it like growing up with your dad being Don Rickles? You know, every day you must have been screaming with laughter. Absolutely not. You know, my father, <laughs> he loved us and he was very into, you know, his family. But he, when he wasn't working, he often just, you know, sat in his big chair and watch sports on TV. Gotcha. Yeah. And if I came home, I remember one time I started therapy and I came home and my dad said, did the doctor mention my name at all? What, <laughs> um, what did he say about me? So it really revolved around my dad mostly. You know, usually yeah. you grow up and it's like about the kids. Joey, what did yeah. you do in school today? No, he was not. No. You know, he would always say, come in and give me a kiss. You know, I love you. I love you. But he was not, everything was really about him. And actually growing up, my mother wanted us all to stay together. So we would travel with him when he would go to Las Vegas to perform or New York or Cleveland. Or, you know, one time I was like, how did I come to Rye, New York or something like that? (laughs) Right. He had worked there, you know, so um we went as much as we could with him and we, you know, in those days you could like bring your work and I would have maybe a tutor in Las Vegas or Reno or you right. know, places like that. So we did that a lot, which was very different, you know, from my friends and I would take friends, you know, to Las Vegas for the weekend. And Sophia said she never went because she was studying. So she, she missed <laughs> that, out. That could be. Yeah. I mean, but, but, you know, who cares? She's a doctor, but she missed out on these exciting weekends in Vegas with me. Right. So that was I her, would agree. her loss, her loss. What was a weekend in Vegas like when you were a kid? Um, yeah. You know, we would we would get picked up. I would get picked up from school in a limousine. And mm-hmm. um, it's so ridiculous now. And then I would run down the lawn, the, you know, the, the big lawn at Beverly High. And my dad would be screaming, we're late, Mindy. Jesus. Sorry for swearing. Jesus, come on. Let's go. Let's go. And so I'd run down the hill. I wasn't athletic. So sometimes I'd right. roll down the hill. <laughs> we had a very big front lawn with rolling hills at the high school. Rolling hills. Yes. Um, I would bring a friend and we would get in this limo and we would we would drive to the airport and we get on a plane and we go to Vegas. And if my dad was working, say, at the Sahara Hotel which was a very famous hotel that isn't there anymore. You know, we would probably stay in like a big suite unless we were staying in a house. Many times my mother wanted to stay not at the hotel and each hotel sort of had a house, you know, for the star to work in. But one I remember at the Riviera, it was like all pink and there were like pink cherubs everywhere and a pink slide. It was very tacky, but... Yeah. So, yeah, we would stay there. And then at night, 
my dad probably did two shows a night. So like one at eight o'clock and one maybe at 10 o'clock. So we mm-hmm. would go to the show and my mother, possibly myself and my girlfriend, and we'd watch the show. And of course I, you know, felt like very important because my dad was yeah. up there. And then at the end of the show, my dad would be like, you know, I think my daughter's in the audience tonight. She's, you know, lovely. And I want you all to see her and she's going to be an actress or whatever. So he would like point to me in the audience and the light would go on me and I was very shy. So I would stand up and give, you know, like a Meghan Markle wave or something, you know, very princess ish. And then after the show, my dad's manager, the maitre d' would come and get us and take us backstage. So on the way to backstage, everyone was like, that's the daughter. That's the daughter. Right. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's me. That's right. That's me. <laughs> you know? so I felt, you know, very like, oh, that feels great. And we went yeah. to the mm-hmm. dressing room, which was always like very nice. I mean, I do stand up and my dad will be, would say to me, What's your dressing room like? And I'd be like, it's an alley in the back, Dad. (laughs) Right. He didn't understand. Times have changed. But it was like a very luxurious dressing room with a bar, you know, um, a separate area for my dad. So usually we go in the dressing room and my dad would be in the bathroom, you know, showering and he would put on this big robe. And then there would be all these people that were supposed to come backstage sort of lined up outside the door. And then Mm -hmm. as soon as my dad came out in the robe with his initials on it, he would sit down again in a big chair. It was always, he had to be in a big chair. So he'd sit down in a big chair and these people from the audience would start coming in and, you know, they'd be introduced to my father and maybe take a picture with him or they were very excited. And I had to just like smile and say hello, which was hard for me because that shyness thing came in then. After that, they would leave. And then possibly my father, my mother, and myself, and my dad had people that worked for him, like this one gentleman, Harry, who used to come on stage with him, but he was like his sort of valet. And so we would all go to dinner somewhere in the hotel. And then after we had dinner, my dad would go back and do a second show. And I would probably go up, you know, stairs to bed with, yeah. So that was kind of what a night was like. And then he would sleep till very, you know, like noon or something. And then I'd see him and probably both my parents and my mother went back down around noon. Wow. Mm-hmm. And did you grow up? Was there a nanny with you? Like when you were young, like, would you always have a, a nanny? Let's see. When I was young, yes, I did have a nanny. One who was like from Switzerland or she was German um, I think my dad might have called her a Nazi, but <laughs> you think <laughs> it was very domineering. And I think she got fired because um, she used to go to the pool and say she was Mrs. Rickles with me. Oh, and oh. so my mother found out. But another thing, I guess, with her when I was little, if I had a spot on my clothes, she used to immediately change them. So that's why my whole life I have this anxiety, this OCD thing about spots. If I see a spot, oh. I have to leave. You know, it's it's a very, yeah, I have to get out of there. So she gave me a lot of psychological problems that I deal with to this day. But what oh. can you do? That's what a Nazi does. Yeah. 
I would agree. Right. PTSD from the Nazis. Right, exactly. From my nanny. Right. Speaking of psychological issues, do you think some of the shyness was actually from that spotlight being put on you? Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and then, of course, it's the whole thing of coming out of being under the shadow of your father, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was very shy and, and, you know, people, it wasn't necessarily about me. So yes, I definitely think, yeah, being in the spotlight from, you know, a young age and being always told to sort of smile and always look kind of, you know, happy. Yeah. You know, just as mm. a kid, just because there were people watching that kind of thing. Yeah. Was that hard for you as a kid? Like, you know, were you in and out of school often? Like, would your mom and dad take you out of school and you go to Vegas for a couple of months or was it just like um, a weekend thing you know, or? There were times, well, in the summer, of course, I wasn't in school. We would be in Vegas for maybe six weeks or something. Right. And my dad mm-hmm. could be at one hotel and then Bob Newhart might be across the street at another hotel. So you had his kids and right. you hang, hang out, out with, with them. Yes, we hung out with them. I remember one time they were staying, maybe it was at the MGM in this huge suite that was like the Elvis Presley suite and that had an mm-hmm. elevator in it. And you could see like there was a bullet hole in the elevator where Elvis like got pissed one night and shot his gun. So wow. we loved seeing stuff like that. And we would go to Circus Circus when that was like a real place to go to. I don't know what it's like now, but. A little trashy. Times have changed. But um, we would do that. But during the school year, no, probably no more than like, I don't know, two weeks tops. We wouldn't gotcha. go, you know, for any longer than that. Were there always a lot of celebrities around you growing up? Because, I, I mean, Bob Newhart for sure. Yeah. And, but your dad seems to have such close friendships with so many of the new comedians. And then, and the course, older ones. Right. And the Rat Pack. and right. I mean, he was, you know, he always said that Frank Sinatra, you know, gave him his start because he was working in clubs, you know, like with strippers and till four o'clock in the morning doing four shows a night. And Frank Sinatra came to see him and thought he was really funny. And of course, Frank Sinatra was the biggest star around. And then he would start coming to the shows with like Judy Garland and Cary Grant and, you know, all these very huge Elizabeth Taylor. Um, yeah. And so as he brought these people in and they saw my dad, that got him, you know, to another level. You know, he was friends with people like Buddy Hackett and, you know, a lot of other comedians mm-hmm. of the day, but he was able to, you know, that really got him to a, like a higher echelon that really made his career. Definitely. Beautiful to watch that, how close these guys were. I mean, he was close, close. I mean, he worked with Frank Sinatra throughout his life. You know, he wasn't, of course, he knew Dean Martin and Sammy Davis, but he sort of came in at the tail end. You know, they were all a little bit older than him. And, but still, Mm -hmm. they liked him like they'd all go in the steam room wherever at the hotel. And one time, (laughs) my dad said they locked him out you know, so he couldn't get in like they would, you know, he was there, but he like Joey Bishop was the comic that was much more, he was older. He was with them, but you know, my dad did spend time with them also, but he was a little bit younger. Very cool. He seemed to get like maybe the most kicks out of entertaining those kind of guys. Oh yeah. He loved that. I mean, that was, 
you know, and he would make fun of them. He would say things to Frank Sinatra that nobody else could say. I mean, if someone right. else made that a joke, you know, they could be killed later that night. Right. So, and one true story, uh, one night, Dean Martin, um, you know, after the show, Frank was like a very big drinker. And Dean Martin, who always was on stage with a drink, he actually wasn't a big drinker. And after the show, you know, he would get like have a glass of milk and he wanted to get up early so he could play golf. And, you know, one night Frank was like, come on, we're going out. You're going to drink and all this. And he didn't want to go. Dean Martin was eating like a bowl of spaghetti or whatever. And Frank got so pissed, he picked up the bowl of spaghetti and just dumped it on top of Dean Martin's head. And of course, yeah. And of course, Dean Martin could do nothing because it's Frank and you don't go against him. Right. So you don't mess with Frank. No, not at all. So the fact that my dad, that Frank loved my dad was a huge thing, you know, because he could, my dad could say whatever to Frank and he would always make fun of him. It's pretty cool. Would you see Frank around as a kid? No, no. I mean, I saw him very briefly, you know, as a teenager, maybe 19, when they did a show together in Vegas and Mm -hmm. they maybe had a party in their suite afterwards or something like that. But I, and you know, he came to one or two of my dad's parties when I was older, he was supposed to come to my wedding, but then he was too sick and he actually died soon after. But no, I met him a few times, but he was not someone that, you know, would come over to the house or anything. In your personal, in your parents' personal life like that. I mean, they would have dinner at some point, but yeah. He didn't, I didn't know him well. Being at the house is different right, than socializing exactly. and knowing yeah. and, yeah, you know. Wow, right. very cool though. Then it seems like all these young guys just really idolized and wanted to be around your dad like a Jimmy Kimmel. Oh yeah, they, my parents were very good friends with Jimmy Kimmel and, you know, they did a documentary on my dad and all these comics, mm-hmm. not necessarily friends with them, but they all were like just... Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock. And yes, they all talked about my dad as, as a legend that they admired, um, you know, Robin Williams and all these people. And even like one of my dad's last shows, um, Steve Martin came and, and Martin Short or something. And my dad was always like, you know, it was his first time on stage in terms of after the show, he said to me, you know, about Steve Martin, was he laughing? Was he laughing? You know. <laughs> And I was like, yes, dad, he was laughing. Like, you know, he hadn't been on stage before. You know, he always wanted that, you know, affirmation from from the audience. So he loved that. Yeah. Being on stage. I think that's true with everybody who performs. You you need to hear it. Right. Right. You need to hear that you did good or how did you do? Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. He he loved that. But he did great. You know, he always rarely was not a good show. And if it wasn't a good show. He would say, you know, I, I did this up in my room and I was laughing. You know, he would say that this is a riot. I don't know what's wrong with you people, that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And his type of comedy was so cool, just how he really insulted and attacked people without writing it out. And he just really yeah, no. did a lot of his work on the fly, which is incredible. Yeah. He never wrote it out. I think he just started the insults with, you know, guys at the bar at four o'clock in the morning that were heckling him. And, you know, but it was always done in a way that people liked him. You know, it wasn't done in a mean, 
vicious kind of way. Of course, his comedy now would have a definite problem because, I mean, yeah. when Mr. Potato Head, and he was the voice of Mr. Potato Head, recently became Potato, he would have been very right, devastated right. about that, you know. Right. Potato Head is now them or something. He would have been upset about that yeah. because he was Mr. Potato Head. But, you know, he did change his act somewhat because he worked until four years ago when he passed away. Yeah. And he still had his audience. And, you know, he did shows and they still filled up. And he started, he was doing shows that were sort of Q&A. And his last shows, you know, he did one with John Stamos and Regis Philbin. They did some shows. So, you know, he did that towards the you know, end of his life when he couldn't like run back on stage, you know, run back and forth yeah. on stage anymore. Yeah. I was going to say at the end, I love watching the Dinner with Don episodes. Oh, yeah. That, what a great. spectacular, what just a spectacular way to spend yeah. time and have these comedians and just get to know your dad alone. He still zings them back. Yeah. It was just, no, that I, was I just went down a rabbit hole of like, oh my God, one was better than the next. It was I know. amazing. That was very exciting. I mean, he had one with like Snoop Dogg and even yes. to relate to him. and Even our own Johnny Silverman. Yep. Johnny oh. Silverman. Yes, that's right. He did do one. And, you know, I think Sarah Silverman did one. Yep. And just Tina Fey or something. Just tons of people. Yeah. It was great. And it was, it was it really was one great. of the most spectacular things. Did, yeah. did he come up with that? Idea? I mean, to be so relevant at 90. I mean, those I are just really yeah. cool things that were always happening that your dad kept being relevant, which right. is pretty amazing. Yeah. No, it was. He always wanted to sort of, you know, the, keep up with the times in terms of the fact that you know, he related to these very big comics of today. That was something, you know, he felt really great about. And and when that came up, you know, he sort of talked about it with his manager and they created that. And, and that's what, you know, it was just a great thing for him to do. People loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Was he able to turn it off? I mean, I know, you know, he could relax, but I'm thinking if somebody set me up for the perfect joke, I couldn't help to insult them. <laughs> right. Um, you know, yeah, he turned it off at home. You know, he really wasn't mm -hmm. that way. It wasn't like a show or like I said, he could be quiet and, and wanting to relax a lot. He swam a lot, you know, in the pool. And, and when he was younger, you know, he played some tennis. But he really at home, I mean, when he went out with his friends, you know, they'd be laughing and and he might yeah. get up somewhere or he always got up at parties, you know, and everyone expected him to. And that was yeah. sort of the entertainment for the evening. He always knew that he'd be getting up and, and that kind of thing. So, But if one of your friends was at home and just set him up for the perfect one-liner, could he resist? Um, <laughs> you know, he, he did that occasionally. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, they knew he was joking, although I'd be like, sure. dad, dad, stop it. You know, I'd be really embarrassed. Mm -hmm. you, you must have been embarrassed. I would think that's embarrassing yes. if he dis, like dissed a friend of yes. yours or. Yes, it was embarrassing. Um, and I would always be like, dad, you know, stop it. And he's like, okay, stop it, stop it. You know, he was always <laughs> just, yeah, he did do that. And for a while, you, your dad had a sitcom, so that must have been a different life for you guys. He must have stayed home. and Yes, yeah. he had a couple of sitcoms in the 70s, 
you know, he did this one CPO Sharky and that went yeah. for like, I don't know, one or two seasons. Yeah. I think two seasons. Two seasons. And then later on he did um, this daddy dearest with Richard Lewis. And I actually, you know, had a little part on that playing a nurse. And that actually turned out to be a very stressful week, you know, with my dad. And he was like, it was just interesting because I'd never done, you know, something with him before. But he was worried yeah. about himself and remembering his lines and, and that kind right. of thing. Uh-huh. Was home life a lot different when he was home and he was doing the show? You know, certainly it was better when he was home. I mean, my parents, you know, they took us on many vacation trips, which was great. But sometimes mm-hmm. they would go with the new hearts on like these cruises or something and they'd be gone for like, you know, 10 days or 12 days. And that was like, you know, I did not like that at all. So I liked it definitely, you know, when both my parents were home and my dad was home. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's so amazing how your dad was a trained actor, you know, first from the, you know, American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And so, how did he even get into comedy from being a trained actor from? Well, he actually, yes, he trained at the American Academy in New York. And he said, you know, he would go to classes and then he would see Grace Kelly would come out of a limousine with like gloves to her elbows for class. He did that initially. And then, you know, he just started. I mean, it was almost like he got some parts like he did a, this movie, Kelly's Heroes. He's great in that. Yeah. Amazing. And, um, you know, he did some, he did this odd couple on stage with Ernest Borgnine, but I guess, and then he ended up being on every sitcom like Gilligan's Island and, you know, all of those shows. Um, But I think the comedy, um, you know, he's just started, you know, he was very funny naturally. So he just started and he insulted, you know, they, when he was in World War II, you know, all the guys on the ship would be laughing at him. So it was just like um, a natural sort of progression. And he would do stand up and do these different TV shows. But then when the stand up, like with Frank Sinatra, got to be so huge, it wasn't like millions of, you know, directors were like, we must have Don Rickles in this, you know. So they, that right. became so big and he went to Vegas and that just became such a big thing for him that that was more of a focus, you know, I mean, Bob Newhart also was very big in Vegas. And then he also had a huge television career, which was amazing. But for my dad, it was more um, being a comic became, you know, more he tried to do, you know, films here and there. And he did Casino, which was very where he I don't know if he spoke in it, but he was great, you know, And then, um, so he did things like that and he did films, you know, when he had the chance. And so it was sort of a combination, but stand up would be, you know, the major thing that he did. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And then how'd you get interested in it? Um, you know, I was always funny like my dad. Um, Mm -hmm. and I would get up at all of his birthday party, actually his 89th birthday party, which was the last big party he had which was, you know, about five years ago, my mother said, you know, my husband plays trumpet on the side and he has mm-hmm. a jazz band. And she said, I'm going to have Ed, my husband and his band play. And then you're going to get up and do 25 minutes or 20 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? You know, cause I had gotten up 
I had gotten up at like a lot of their parties for my dad's, I don't know, 70th or something. And that's when you did casino. So you invited Sharon Stone and Martin Scorsese. And I did get up probably not even, no one asked me to, but I just did. And <laughs> How could you do that being shy? You, what did you say? Well, I'm going to take the mic and go? Yeah, yes. That's what I did. Larry King was talking like too long. At one point I was like, that's enough from you, Larry. And I grabbed the mic and I took it away, you know, and everyone laughed and then I got up and I did this whole thing, you know, and made fun of Sharon Stone. And yeah, I did this whole Love thing. <laughs> and then, but at his 89th, I really wrote down just like one or two, three words on an index card. And then I did 20 minutes and I will say they were screaming. Um and it was people. I love that. Yeah. And it wasn't just like Aunt Selma, you know, it was like John McEnroe was there and Bob Saget and all these, you know, stars or whatever. So Whenever I would do uh-huh. that, it was it was great. And I actually it's like it sounds like a joke, but I performed at my dad's memorial where my mother's like, get up. Do tell. Day. Right. <laughs> and I did a tight, you know, 30. No. I um <laughs> I, I did got, a tight 30. <laughs> right. You know, I got up and I talked about my dad and you know, again there was like Judd Apatow and all and I wasn't in Tim I was able I'm able to do that which yeah. is odd to me being, I mean, I'm not as shy uh-huh. of course as I was when I was young, but that's right. something that is very easy for me for some reason, just off the top of my head to mm-hmm. do stuff like that. So, and are you like your dad? Like you don't write down a lot of material or do you kind of go on the fly as well? Or do you do both? Or? No, I mean, I have to write material. You know, there've been times when I started stand up in the beginning where I was just like, improving and talking to the audience and you know you can't really do that I learned as your act um, you right. really have to have a set act that you're doing I mean even my dad he listened to his act you know on uh, a recording he listened to himself over and over so he knew mm-hmm. his act and then he might right. throw in something if he was seeing someone in the audience but he always knew you know, when he kissed some woman's hand, he would say, what'd you have for dinner, fish? You know, he always knew he was going to say that, but he may say other things, you know. So, right. you know, you really have to, I learned, you really have to have an act that you really know, like the back of your hand. And then if you want to throw in something here or there, you know, you can, but you have to know where you are. You know, it's like yeah. chunks of of the act, yeah. Do you do it because you really love the, you know, the feeling of making the audience laugh? Yeah. I mean, my dad was very discouraging, you know, of me doing it. He was always like, you're, you're going to be an actress. And, you know, I was an actress and did, you know, some parts in my twenties, nothing, nothing major, but I mean, I did, you know, like this in the heat of the night, I was like a guest star on that. But, you know, I mean, when I auditioned for the part of, um, What's her name? I don't know. The Jennifer Aniston's part on Friends. Yeah. I, I didn't get that, you know. So it wasn't like I had this huge career or anything. But then I always wanted, you know, I always was funny. And everyone I ever met was like, you should do stand up. You know, that was like, I heard that constantly. So mm-hmm. but my dad thought it. He's like, why do you want to do that? It's a very tough life. And yeah. then when I was like, I don't know, eight years ago, Jeff Garland, the comic, I met him through my older son's school. And he was like, 
you should do stand up. I'll introduce you, you know, I'll get you in at the laugh factory and all this. So I was like, okay, you know, I was much older, but I thought, you know, if I'm ever going to do it, I'll do it now. And so I did it then. And, you know, I loved, yes, when the audience laughs and probably for a year, they were laughing. And then Mm -hmm. I'm saying, you're going to bomb, you're going to bomb because everyone does. And I'm like, well, I'm not, you know. And then after a year, suddenly, yes, it became, you know, ups and downs and all of that I did do, which, you know, um, unfortunately, of course, my dad, well, I wouldn't have done it if he were alive, but um, Jeff Ross Uh. called me up and asked me to play my dad on a Netflix special, which I couldn't believe, you know, I was going to do that. And it was with was different episodes um, where they would roast famous people that weren't alive. So that the one I was in, actually, it was sort of like they were roasting Hitler. Yeah. Gilbert Godfrey played Hitler. And then they had an actress, um, Rachel Feinstein, that played um, Anne Frank. John Lovitz was in it. He played like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And they put a bald wig, a bald head on me. And put me yeah. in a uniform, like a uh, from like a sailor's uniform that my dad would have worn in CPO Sharky, and I got up and imitated my dad and insulted all of them, <laughs> and that actually was very easy for me. I mean, I had a script, yeah. mm-hmm. which was a lot of what my dad would say in his act, but that you know, I could do that because I could always. Yeah you know, do my dad's whole show or imitate him. And so I was surprised, you know, he asked me to do that, but it was great. That was like one of the best times, you know? Yeah, that was, it was fun. We saw that watching you. And yeah. It was- so it must be tempting to go into that, you know, to try to insult. I mean, you certainly can handle a heckler. And does that come up in your act where you do do some insults? I mean, it has come up, you know, I feel very comfortable usually talking to the audience Mm-hmm. And I can sort of relate, you know, did, did you meet this guy, you know, and I could say, what's your name, you know, Joe, and this is Jim, have you two met, you know, and I can very much get into like an improv thing. So that's sort of easy. I mean, I haven't had many hecklers per se, um, but I've definitely had experiences where I have gone to the audience and whoever I'm with or talking is like not into it and I have to move on, you know, very quickly. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've done that. I'm more comfortable with than um, even like set bits that I'm doing sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the other comedians that you admire? You know, one comedian I admire who doesn't really work that much. Well, I don't see around that much who I loved growing up is Sandra Bernhardt. Mm, yeah. And I used to go to New York and I'd go with my mother like to her shows and they were very interesting, but I always uh, loved her. And Jerry Seinfeld, I've always thought was really funny and, and Chris Rock. Yeah. And uh, Judy Gold, I thought was a very mm-hmm. funny comic. So, um, you know, there's so many comics today and a bunch of them were in, Jeff Ross's show, like, um, yeah, um, uh, Nikki Glazer and you know, people yeah. like that, very like hot comics of today. So, Fortune Fimster, you know, these are like 
big comics now. So it, it was great to like to meet them and and you know see people like that because there are so many more you know female comics today. And sometimes yeah. you know I'll drive down Sunset and there'll be a billboard of some girl or young woman who I've absolutely never heard of, and you know it's her HBO special or her Netflix special, and I'm like, who is that? You know, I have no right. idea, but they, right. you know, have all these specials and that kind of thing. So when you were starting out, did you hit the road and go all across the country to yeah. big um, and small places? I mean, I did go to different places, but I wouldn't say I was like, I was never on the road, you know, like I mm-hmm. might go to Vegas for a week or, you know, at the Tropicana or the MGM or something, or I'd go to Milwaukee, great town. Um, that sounds fun. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, places, Florida, but never like on the road per se. Yeah. When you have kids and they must have been younger at that time. They were young when I started doing that. And we were living in also when I did shows here in Malibu at the time. So it was a Mm. very long drive to get to like, you know, Hollywood, West Hollywood to the clubs and stuff. And as I got older and as they got older, um, you know, now they're like one's in college and well, both are in college, but one's at home. So I have, I had a lot more time in the past, Mm -hmm. except for COVID in the past couple of years. And I was doing a show at the laugh factory called um, Monday, Monday, Mindy. And I would have like a big comic that I would interview first. I had like, um, uh, Paul Reiser or, um, different people, uh, Jeff Garland or Jeff Ross or whatever. And I would interview them and then the audience would have some questions. And then there would be like four other pretty big comics that would come up, you know, and do stand up. So I was doing mm-hmm. that a lot. And that became like a thing I was doing right before COVID started. Cause that got a lot of audience response. And that sounds fun. Yeah. Very cool. Are your kids interested in comedy at all? Do they have the bug? Um, no. I mean, they're both funny, actually. My older son is very funny in a very dry way. Um, but at one point, he was going to go to, like, an open mic thing. But he had no interest in it. He wants to be, like, uh, like a teacher. You know, he's a history major. Oh. and Yeah. But they're both funny. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But, but not in the business. No, no. They're going they, don't, they don't want to do that. Yeah. So very good. Uh huh. My father would always say, you know, even though I was in the mix, if one of my kids were funny, he'd say, Oh, and who did you get that from? You know, and I'm like, Where was I? <laughs> How did I just completely get out of the whole mix? You know, so your whole life was the world of Don Rickles, I guess. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, you know, I had things going on, but it was, yes, he was, as opposed to families where it's like, you know, they're very focused on the kids. It was, it was mm-hmm. very much, you know, my dad. Yeah. And what was your mom like? Was she, was she balancing that? And- I'm sorry. Who my mom? My, oh, my mom. Yeah. mom. She was, yes, she was very um, organized and really handled everything for my dad. He really, you know, just went on the stage. Um, my mother organized the traveling and, the home life and the meals and absolutely everything. I mean, she was like completely the most organized person I've ever seen. And I'm the opposite, unfortunately. And so, yes, she's the one 
that handled everything. She's the one that decided, you know, we're all going to go on these trips to keep the family together because usually, you know, comics, whatever, they go on the road for months and then, you know, oftentimes they get divorced and all this. So she wanted to always, you know, keep us together as much as she could. Sounds like they were a great team. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty unusual thing for somebody who grew up in Beverly Hills to have your parents be married forever. Yes, they That's were true. married um, for 50, 50 years. And, Amazing. Um, yeah. so, and the Newharts, also their best friends, have been married for, I don't know, maybe um, a little more than my parents. You know, it's just... Do you know any secrets? Um. No, it's funny because I did not marry anyone. Well, like my husband is probably a little bit like my mother because in our home, even though I'm not a star, it's all about Mindy, you know. So my husband yeah. has done, he's like, you know, he handles a lot, most everything he would say. And I love that. <laughs> you know, I don't want to yeah. handle anything. So I'm very uh-huh. much like my dad that way. I just want to be funny, you know, even if it's to the wall, you know, I don't. that kind of thing. But yes, I definitely, he is similar to my mother and I'm similar to my dad. I didn't like most women. Oh, I want to marry someone just like my father. You know, I did not do that at all because then we would be fighting for the attention. Oh, and that kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Because you have an outgoing personality in that, right. you know, in that way. Right. And, and, it would and be too much. Similar, yeah, way too much. You right. would be an explosion. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it works out really well because we've been married, you know, 24 years. And, um, oh, nice. Yeah. So it does, it does work out. It balances. It's wonderful. Itself. Yeah. I, th- I think you must have learned that some of that from your parents and the new hearts. Oh, I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I looked at their marriage, you know, I wasn't like most common. I was friends with um, one of Dean Martin's daughters, you know, he had so many kids and it was like her mother was one of his wives. And, and um, I remember at Westlake and she would see him on Sunday, he would take her to Chasen's for dinner, which right. was an old, you know, very famous restaurant. And, you know, buy her very expensive clothes, but she wouldn't see him at all during the week. It was sort of like on the weekend, he gave her, like, he gave her a ton of cash and took her to a fancy restaurant. She had all this money that, you know, we didn't have, you know, she was wearing like a Rolex when we were 15 and that kind of thing. Right. But, um, and nowadays that's very common, but, um, you know, she, all these kids that didn't see their parents, they were divorced and, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was very happy or actually took it for granted that my parents yeah. didn't divorce and the new hearts were together. But I'm sure I saw that and wanted, you know, that kind of a marriage. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's the opposite. David and I, our parents are divorced. So, you, you know, oh, you try uh-huh. to do it differently, right, you know, right. so, you know, the role models are different and right. it's good to take what you got from that. Amazing. Exactly. From right. That. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I really want to ask you about this because I find it so bizarre, but your dad had some kind of close friendship with Johnny Depp. Oh yes, he was. Well, you know, there were a lot of people that loved my dad that were like these young stars, you know, and I'd be shocked like Johnny Depp. I don't know. He met him once and he was like, I live for you. You know, John Mayer, (laughs) 
Yeah, that seems like the weirdest combination. I know, of I know Johnny Depp, Depp, and your Depp. Your, I know. Yeah, it was like the pirate and you know <laughs> the guy in the in the uh, bar hall, you know, serving right. the drinks. But he, um, yeah, and like when he met John Mayer, you know, John Mayer got down on his knees. It just doesn't even seem his right. kind of thing. Like John yeah. Mayer, that's his kind of comedy. You know, he John Mayer thought he was hysterical, and he was invited to parties. And also um, Jamie Dornan from Fifty oh, Shades yeah. of Grey. It turned out, my dad found out that he loved my dad so much, which is like crazy, that he said he had a picture of him over his bathtub, which I thought <laughs> made him odd. I said, wow, yeah. he's an odd guy, you know. But my dad loved hearing that, you know, and would have probably gotten together with him. No, he loved it when people like that, you know, Love my dad, and even not necessarily someone younger, but one time he was on, I don't know, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel or something. I don't know if it was Johnny Carson, and he was, he never would accept like the second spot. You know, he always took the first spot. And this one time they were like, you know, um, Denzel Washington is coming on and he has a new movie to promote, and would you accept the second spot just this one time? And so he said, okay, mm-hmm. because it was Denzel. And Denzel came out and talked about the movie. And my dad, they didn't know each other. And then my dad came out and Denzel got up and sat in the other chair, the second spot next to my dad. He's like, no, I'm staying, you know, in front of the audience. <laughs> He's like, I want to stay for this. And my dad, you know, that put him on a huge role. And Denzel was hysterically laughing like he was crying. And Mm -hmm. that was like, my dad lived for that. You know, the fact that Denzel Washington, this huge star who he absolutely didn't know. And he thought he's a serious (laughs) guy. And when he got, I'm staying, you know, he got in the other chair. It was like, that just got my dad going. And he would be like, where's he going with his career? You know, stuff like that. (laughs) And he just got on a roll. And that was like an amazing show. So yeah. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of fabulous things happen when your dad just kind of popped up too, yeah. you know, just magically like, yes, you never knew. Right. Exactly. You, you always knew, you know, something was going to happen, but you know, people that um, were very serious, you know, actors or whatever, if we were in a restaurant and they were sitting at a table and my dad were walking in and we're going to pass that table, he's definitely going to say something to that guy. You know, he's definitely going to say, like, at one time, Larry Ellison, you know, the billionaire was in a restaurant. My dad didn't know him, and he walked by, and he was like, you need some cash? Whatever he said. It was just, (laughs) he always had to say something, and 99% of the time, they would get hysterically laughing and say, oh, my God, I love you, and all this. So, yeah, that always happened all the time. Do you think nowadays, like, could your dad... Could a comic be like that now? Or, I mean, because he was saying ho- names up until right, 2006 right. and seven that right. were just like, I can't even say it on the show right, right. now. I mean, he, he never said, you know, he never, you know, he said things that were not politically correct at all. Yeah. I mean, he was doing that, like I said, up until right up until he passed away, which would have been four years ago. You know, I don't know if he could change things. I mean, I still think he had such a big audience. And even at 91, it was shocking. 
and not just older people, you know, young people. I don't know if he modified, you know, certain times my mother would say to him, you cannot say that, you know, and he would take it out or whatever. So I think he could have modified things. You know, he had such yeah. a big act and he had so much, you know, material and things that he just knew that hopefully I would like to think he would have been able to, you know, modify it because he loved, yeah. you know, working and that kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. Certainly some of it, some of kind of what we might find offensive today, I think, you know, pointed out at a time like, hey, this exists. Like there's racism in the right. world. And yeah. I didn't feel like he was being racist. I felt like he was bringing attention to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he and people that maybe never saw him thought he said, you know, terrible things or the N word. or I mean, he never. No, nothing like that. like that. He just. I mean, it was another time when he grew up and that kind of thing. But um, I think, no, he always, be, he was successful because he was never mean-spirited. And he always yeah. you know, he sang at the end, he sang songs about, you know, it was just, he's a nice guy. And yeah. it's just, you know, to make the audience laugh. And obviously, you know, these audiences knew it because he if he were just mean or, um you know, something like that, it wouldn't go over. So, Mm-mm. but yeah, I think he would have, I mean, he certainly wasn't like in a little world. He saw everything going on in the world. And so I think he could have um, modified things. And still oh, yeah. His I mean, he was funny. Yeah. Funny's yeah, funny. Right, I think right. he could have joked about anything. Right. Exactly. That's true. I worry that, you know, we censor it too much and then you just are like, well, these problems don't exist. Like racism doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, if we can't have comedians joking about it. Yeah. I'm seeing certainly yeah. like a, a Richard Pryor and other comedians would talk about race and bring attention to it. Yes. Sure. I think now, you know, even um, they have to be so careful and I have to you know, I'm doing stand-up now. It's a whole different thing. And I will have to be careful. You know, you can't say so many things now. And everything, sometimes I think it gets too extreme that everything you say is, you know, not politically correct or something like that. And I think it sometimes gets to um, an extreme level that gets silly, you know. Exactly. You cannot say, you know, oh, I didn't like her hair color. Well, that was bullying. Yeah. You know? So right. it's just, yeah, I think it gets a little bit ridiculous. Um, this Crystalia, who wasn't very famous, but he, you know, worked and everything. You know, he had a whole thing with women underage that said right. he had sexually abused them and all this. And like his, mm-hmm. his agent, you know, then you heard the agent drop them and the management company and this new movie he was going to do. They've now, you know, put someone else in his part, you know, so it's like their whole career is yeah. kind of ruined at least for now, you know, they're online yeah. doing like their podcast, but they don't have the the career that they had before at all. They have to sort of reinvent themselves or something. I don't know. For sure. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about a, a cruise ship where you just have these canceled people. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, exactly. They just do what they want and throw them overboard. At sea. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throw them overboard. Out. That's a normal occurrence now. So, you know. 
in another exactly. life, I wanted to be like a forensic, a forensic pathologist, but that didn't happen. Ooh. So, oh. Very into crime and, you know, that's a crime and all that. That's your, your next show. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. Like the most that. popular kind of podcast are these. Po- oh, I know. These crime. Uh, crime yes. Yeah. They're fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, that's my other idea is to do a parody crime podcast. Maybe that's oh, you <laughs> a know, project that, for you. Yeah, that's something actually at one point we sort of did a demo for that. Like, that's so funny, like a podcast. It was it was a crime. Um, well, it was a famous crime. And they did a movie called The Staircase, which was a documentary on it about this man whose wife fell down the stairs and she died. And then they said he murdered her because also... 10 years before he lived in Germany and this other woman fell down the stairs when he was there. So a lot of women falling downstairs with this guy <laughs> around, you know, so it was suspicious. Yeah. yeah. So I, the idea was like to do one of those episodes, but kind of, you know, because it was, it was long before make fun of it. But I mean, even like during the Menendez trial, which of course yeah. people today don't even know what that is, but the brothers yeah. that killed their parents, I mean, the house was like, you know, 10 blocks away and I used to drive by it all the time and stare at it. And I actually went, I sat behind OJ Simpson one day during his no trial. Way. Yeah. So no that way. was like really, yeah, I had a boyfriend. I worked at Neiman Marcus at one point when I was, you know, doing the acting thing. And I met this guy who was doing security there and he became a deputy sheriff. This is when I was like in my twenties and I was dating him so it was during the OJ trial. So he got me into the trial and I sat behind OJ and you would have thought I was at the Academy Awards. I mean, I was like thrilled by everything <laughs> that was going on. I couldn't even believe I was there. Dominic Dunn, the famous writer, was there. Like I spoke right. to him. He went to elevator. every day. Yeah, it was like I was with Brad Pitt. You know, I was so thrilled <laughs> by the whole thing. You couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Mindy, that is super cool. Right, isn't it? Yeah. So I like yeah, totally. stuff like that, except normally they're like, you know, when I say the Menendez, they're like, who's that? You know? Well, we'd actually like to get them on the show. Oh, oh my God. That would be great. A jailhouse podcast. Yeah. It just I forgot that, of course, they went to Beverly and all of that. Yeah. Growing up Beverly Hills, we can have <laughs> yeah. them on the show. They, they, yeah. they qualify. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's so funny. Yes, definitely. Well, you have that OJ story, but I like to ask everybody what was one really over-the-top experience that you had in your life that could have only have happened from growing up in Beverly Hills. Um, that could have only happened from growing up in Beverly Hills. Oh, God. Well, let's say that my father, having, you know, wanting to live in Beverly Hills and then having me, I don't think, like, his Netflix thing, the Netflix thing that I did was like one of the greatest things I did. And I don't think, had I not had my Beverly Hills upbringing, you know, with my parents and just the whole life I had that led me, you know, to that point. I mean, I've certainly had a very, um, I had a very privileged, you know, life. And I think I learned a lot as I've grown up and as an adult that, you know, there are all these different people and all these different lives and you have to just kind of, you know, learn from each experience. And when people say, oh, Beverly Hills, oh, that must have been, you know, they have an image of it, but it really was 
you know, it wasn't like every other place, but it was, you know, were friends and, and there was closeness and there were places in the community, like a deli that everyone loved to go to, like in your hometown, there'd be some kind of place to go, you know, there, there are similarities. So it's not like it's just this crazy world. I mean, it is, but certain things that ground you are the same, you know, in so many different places. So Sure. I think I, you know, learned from that, definitely. Our our small town upbringing. Right, exactly, right. Well, this has been so much fun. Oh, me too. I need to come back for the Menendez episode. Yes, (laughs) we might need you. We need you. you. (laughs) (laughs) I did get a tour of a supermax jail when I was dating this guy, you know, and the inmates have to walk on one side and I was on the other and again, it was like I was from Omaha and I was on a tour of Universal Studios. You know, it was thrilling <laughs> for me, even though I could have been I love it. moment. Yeah, it was thrilling. So, yeah. I love that you love that part of, of the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the dark underbelly. I, uh, it's like, that's my middle name, underbelly. I love that. I yes. love it. <laughs> yes. It's fabulous. Well, Mindy, we can't thank you enough. It's been thank so great you. chatting with you. You too. Mindy, it was thank so you. awesome seeing you, chatting with you, catching thank up with you. you, hearing all about your awesome life and what it's been like growing up Beverly Hills for you. And again, thank you and thank you and thank you. Thank you. It was really fun. I had a great time. Bye. Bye. Bye, Mindy. Thanks Bye. so much. Thank you. Welcome to the Beverly Hills Breakdown. Woohoo! It's the breakdown. Let's do it, David. What do you got today? Mindy was a lot of fun to talk to, and both her and her dad have appeared in a lot of TV shows and specials, and they're really all worth watching. So I thought we'd give you the guide to how to watch them all. Perfect. Uh, The first one, Mindy talked about being in a roast of Anne Frank, which was really kind of a roast of Hitler. And that show is called Historical Roasts on Netflix. That was really funny. And Mindy did a great job. She played her dad, Don Rickles, and they totally roasted Hitler and Anne Frank. And it was really fun to watch. Yeah, that was cool. And she really describes it as very special in her life, which is touching. Yeah, totally. I I would think it would be very touching to have the opportunity to play your own father or your own parent. Very, very cool. Another one was Dinners with Dawn, and you can watch those short segments on YouTube. Dinners with Dawn was so great. I watched them, um, and I actually fell in love with them. They're just short vignettes where Dawn literally is at dinner at, like, Dantana's, and a cool comedian comes in, a young one. Snoop Dogg or Amy Poehler or Paul Rudd, and they just sit down at dinner with Don and chat with him, and Don just keeps zinging him back and telling him the scoop, and it was just really awesome, and they were just wonderful, wonderful shows. I hope everyone checks them out on YouTube, Dinners with Don. A great tribute to Don Rickles is Don Rickles' One Night Only, an all-star comedy tribute. I don't know where you can officially see this one, but I watched it on YouTube. It was a really fun show. Yeah, a huge number of comedians got up and just kind of uh, did a little comedy. And Jerry Seinfeld hosted it. And it featured Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and then his weird friend Johnny Depp. 
<laughs> the pirate. We we got Tad to get down to the bottom of the pirate. And it's not like he just dresses like a pirate for these movies. Every time I've seen him in real life, it's almost like he's wearing the same exact costume just out on the town. He's he's dressed no differently. <laughs> kind of funny, right? I guess if you're getting paid that kind of money from Disney, you might as well just live live in the dream. You think he'd kind of tone it down and not want to be recognized, but... Oh, no. He's in full pirate regalia. Uh, I've seen him out at concerts and, you know, hey, there's that pirate. (laughs) Kind of funny. I kind of liked him with the 21 Backstreet or 21 Jump Street kind of look. Yeah, you think he'd get recognized less that way. Exactly. On Amazon Prime, you can watch Mr. Warmth, the Don Rickles Project. What an incredible project. This was done um, really... Mindy's brother was an executive producer on the show. It was a a family-run show. He won an award for the show. What a wonderful, wonderful show. Just really is Don Rickles all day. It's one of his last shows that he does in 2006, and all these young comedians and other comedians talk about him, and it was just a beautifully well-done show called Mr. Warmth. And he was warm. (laughs) Well, he was so well admired, and uh, everybody did love him. As we did more investigative work on the show, I truly fell in love with Don Rickles. I knew he was funny, but now I really, you know, love him so much. And also, don't forget, he's Mr. Potato Head on all of the Toy Story movies. Yes. It was awesome, Mindy. It was great hearing from you and hearing your story. We loved having you on as a guest, and... It was just a complete joy for David and I, and we thank you. Yeah, we can't wait to hear more of your own comedy. Yeah, we'll come out and see when you go back to the Laugh Factory. Well, that's it for the breakdown. Remember to like us, love us, subscribe, talk to us on Instagram and Facebook. You know where to find us, everywhere podcasts are available. Tell all your friends and keep our love going. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Talk to you next time. So suicide has personally affected my life. And we like to mention at the end of our show that there is help for everybody out there. You know, I think everybody's going through a tough time now. And we don't want anybody to take their lives. Especially during this COVID situation. uh, We've all been experiencing depression and hard times. Things can always get better. Everything bad now can get better. Everything can get better, and there is a lot of help out there. So please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. There is always help. It doesn't hurt to call, so do that. You don't have to do this alone. There's always help.